This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with journalist Alex Nunes. Alex Nunes is a Rhode Island-based journalist and educator who keeps the website Nunes Weekly, focusing heavily on the role the military-industrial complex plays in Rhode Island's economy and politics. Our conversation examined many of Mr. Noon's findings, offering insight into the magnitude of influence military contractors such as General Dynamics Electric Boat and Raytheon play in Rhode Island's political sphere. Be sure to subscribe to the Bartholomew Town Podcast wherever you stream content, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon's Alexa, wherever it is. Subscribe to Bartholomew Town. And if you haven't yet, go back. This is episode 40. You can check out each episode on those platforms or ripodcast.com and always on bartholomewtown.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Bill Bartholomew. All right, let's get right to it. My conversation with Alex Noons. All right, so we are here at the Bartholomew Town Loft with Alex Noons of Noons Weekly, Providence Journal. Uh, the day, New London Day. And, yeah, contributor. Uh, yeah, contributor, and also uh, Rhode Island and National Public Radio as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, uh, thanks appreciate for, uh, it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, give uh, just a quick summary of your background and kind of mm-hmm. where you're at now with the work you're doing with News Weekly and okay. and beyond. You want me to get yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right, yeah, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, that okay. was that was a statement. <laughs> Let me ask you, yeah, okay. if you don't mind, would you uh, yeah, give us a summary of what you're up to, basically? Yeah, uh, I can give you sort of the synopsis of uh, my journalism. So I started at Rhode Island Public Radio as an intern in 2006. 2006. Um, worked there for a little bit, went to uh, Columbia Journalism School, then I worked at a newspaper for a little bit, went back to Rhode Island Public Radio, uh, worked at the day in New London for a little while, um, and then uh, since then I've been doing more freelance work uh, as a contributor, and then teaching journalism uh, at the college level. Within the last year and a half, I've been looking into more of these military industrial topics and reporting on that for the Province Journal, and then some other um, uh, reporting on state subsidies for Rhode Island Public Radio I've done, and then recently, within the last eight months, launching my own site to put more of that information on there. So, so yeah, that's kind of the, the uh, brief version of it. Something, one area you want me to get into more specifically? Well, that's that a good summary. Let's get mm-hmm. right into what you're covering now, which is uh, essentially um, the military-industrial complex and how it operates in Rhode Island and, and also a bit in Connecticut, uh, mm-hmm. and how the, particularly with the senators and representatives, uh, mm-hmm. particularly Representative Langevin, uh, how they're tied into this and... Mm-hmm. As a result, how it creates what you might describe as, uh, you know, a Fox progressive, um, right? Yeah, you know, veil mm-hmm. uh, for for these, uh, for for example, for Sheldon Whitehouse, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Senator Jack Reed, mm-hmm. and uh, represent Congressman um, Langevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that sort sure. of a, a yeah, fair statement? A, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, yeah. it's um, it's one of those issues in Rhode Island where it's. I guess it's been so long running and going on so long and, and kind of hidden in plain view that 
it's not really covered and it's really overlooked. And you have these people like Sheldon Whitehouse, um, Jackery, Jim Langevin, people who we assume hold um, a lot of progressive stances who are completely um, enablers of this, uh, you know, of the military industrial complex of grossly excessive military spending, all of that. And it plays out really at almost all levels of government in the state, uh, local, state government, federal government. And yeah, if, I mean, if you, if you follow the money too, you just see that the majority of our at least, uh, you know, statewide office holders receive money from General Dynamics and other um, defense contractors. Uh, they give them subsidies, Governor Armando doing that, $34 million recently, more than $4 million previously. Then on top of that, tax credits. And you have Jack Reed and Jim Langevin who um, sit on the Armed Services Committee in the Senate and the House. They spend a lot of their time um, making sure that contracts get funneled to these companies. And, yeah, I think it's something in the state that it's just been going on so long that no one even thinks it's really a story or a lot of people haven't thought it was a story and yeah it it, it gets it, it's a story that gets told really superficially people assume oh we've got jobs building a submarine or designing a, a rocket or whatever it's going to be uh therefore this is good our politicians are going doing a good job but in terms of looking at it in a kind of a bigger picture way you don't really see that too much um I started getting into this, like I said, about, I don't know, 15 or 16 months ago after a uh, education center in Westerly opened up. And this was, this center, we didn't really know what exactly was going to be there. I live in Westerly. And we saw, my wife and I, we saw like the construction going up and all of that. And this is downtown? Yeah. Well, it was yeah. sort of behind the train tracks. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we were kind of excited, like, what's going to be there? What's going to be there? Right. And then it, they had, like, the big unveiling, and, and about more than half of the space was dedicated to training General Dynamics electric boat workers to, uh, to build nuclear-armed and nuclear-powered submarines. Yeah. And that, that was kind of a bummer. So, um, but when I was reading stories about it, it was all written in this way, like... Um, what great news, like what great news for everyone. And, and General Dynamics was almost treated as if it were uh, a philanthropic company that's just giving away money to Rhode Islanders, just, you know, out of the goodness of their own heart. Um, and none of the stories even addressed what these submarines are for, how much they're going to cost. Um, was it $6 what, billion dollars per submarine? Yeah, per submarine building 12 for the the nuclear armed fleet fleet the columbia class and then on top of that you know um the design work so in total it's going to be over 100 billion dollars um no discussion of the necessity the geopolitical reason you know is if this is excessive this is necessary anything like that uh the story just gets told as jobs good news um so i i personally was interested in knowing more about it um so I was just kind of looking into it on my own, and then I evolved into doing a uh, pretty in-depth series for Projo and then other stories after that, and then it's kind of become a niche since then. 
What are some of the specific findings you've come ac- you've come across here as you've looked? I, I, one thing that caught my mm-hmm. attention was related to housing and how some affordable housing is actually going to be used to house those who are either training for or working at General Dynamics. I think this is in Connecticut, but the example, yeah, the illustration yeah. is is, is right. it to say, all right, well, they're they're actually taking housing that is in some ways or in, is mm-hmm. totally designated for affordable housing. And like you say, it's more, hey, look, yeah. great news. We're, we're going to bring X number of people mm-hmm. in, but then who are you displacing at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's an interesting question. That that kind of touches on this um, topic of this being really presented superficially, and you you see people like Gina Raimondo or Sheldon Whitehouse or Jack Ray or Jim Langevin or the people at General Dynamics. They throw around these um, expressions like these are good middle class jobs. We're giving middle class jobs for a middle class family. You can raise a family on all this this types of language, but no one really ask them to kind of dial in and say exactly, you know, what that means. So in doing the reporting, one of the things I just wanted to get a sense of is, you know, how good are these jobs? What are people being paid? The taxpayers are giving up a lot for these jobs. So what are we, you know, getting in return? And, you know, one of the things, the Department of Labor and Training, they told me that the people who are being um, trained with state funds are starting at an average salary of about 35600 which isn't, you know, that's not a middle-class wage. And then if you go online and read uh, openings at General Dynamics, they'll say, uh, you know, starting at $14 an hour and progressing upwards. So that's also not a middle-class wage. And then, you know, in Connecticut, at least, uh, there's been news stories where uh, General Dynamics officials were touring mill buildings that had been renovated with state money for the purpose of making affordable housing for people. And then these were going to be affordable housing, subsidized, um, uh, you know, condos and apartments. And the article I read, which was in the New London Day, said that people who worked at General Dynamics were going to be making, um, you know, little enough that they could qualify for the subsidized housing. And then it went on to say that, you know, they're going to be bringing in people from other areas of Connecticut, bringing in people from... Uh, other areas of New England and elsewhere. So, yeah, it gets to your original question. Um, you know, who's being affected by that? If people are coming in from out of the area to then live in these affordable housing units uh, that were presumably fixed up so that people in that area could live in it, you know. Um, and then, you know, just the general question of what what are these middle-class jobs that were uh, apparently... Um, giving up so much for a good reason for. So, the, so y- your take is that they've constructed an elaborate PR facade, which is basically um, using the 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 notion that jobs will be created and these will be good jobs, uh, and, and that alone is more um, going to get a lot more focus on the fact that you're actually constructing these powerful. Um, weapons of death, essentially. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah exactly. That's essentially yeah, right. what the the story. Is. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, uh-huh. we'll give you a job. You'll make a bunch right. of money, and you'll right. be all set. And yeah. then we'll be all set because we're going to construct our mm-hmm. our weapons. Is that sort of the? Yeah, and it's not just them. It's, it, that's not just their. Uh, it's not just the company's PR spin. That's Governor Raimondo's PR spin. That's Jack Reed's PR spin. And they write up these press releases, send them out, and. 
It's uh, reporters almost get it as if like you know these are my marching orders. This is the story I'm writing, um, and. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe they could produce more information that proves that these are such great jobs. But from what you know is publicly available, um, it looks like they're overselling us, and that the taxpayer, both at the state level, giving subsidies, and then at the federal level, paying for a hundred billion dollar fleet, and they're building other submarines too, um, doesn't seem so justified. And then, yeah, that totally distracts people from the from the larger issue of you know these are floating armageddons basically you know they um uh most of our active um nuclear warheads are on submarines so it's a pretty it's pretty heavy duty topic and you're able to get people to not question it if you just portray it as uh we're jobs creators Right. And, and of course, we've seen it. If, if anyone who's been on YouTube that's in Rhode Island has probably seen Governor Raimondo's YouTube ads that are essentially, you know, I don't think they're I don't know if they're probably actors, but they're mm-hmm. they're portraying that they have there's some young kid who's improved their life because now they work at General Dynamics and their opportunity as such. Right. It's also got an Instagram filter over it as well. So mm-hmm. you know, it's right. Yeah. But it's it's an, sort of an indicator not to get off topic that she's focused on the general election versus mm-hmm. the primary because she's going out there and saying, hey, look, I am completely different than my opponent, Matt Brown. There's there's, mm-hmm. you know, I support this type of operation, you know. Mm-hmm. Constructing nuclear submarines in in yeah. our state and everything that goes into it, whereas he does not. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not even shy about it. You know, they're, no. they've constructed this facade and they're they're running. Whether you say mm-hmm. oh, sort of giving marching orders is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, they. Um, yeah, this is not anything that any state elected official or appointed official ever thought that they had to. Um, hide or be ashamed of, you know, the fact that they're giving away money and accepting all this money. No one ever, no one thought of it as something that you hide or run from. I do think, though, that more recently that public opinion has shifted on this. I think people have kind of caught wind and are asking more questions as they become more informed on it. And I think the fact that Matt Brown has picked up on the topic is is interesting. And I, I think he's kind of reading the tea leaves correctly on it. I mean, he's, so he's asked, well, he's called on her to return the subsidies or, um, no, return, no, actually, he didn't say return the campaign contributions. He said donate them because of their general dynamics' other role in the uh, immigration, um, Trump's immigration the, the tracking policies. device yeah, right, to, yeah, to yeah. track children. Is yeah. that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that was why, because they're involved with that too. And then he, he called on her to, uh, rescind the subsidies, um, but he's also sp- spoken out ag- ag- against just this general idea of building an economy around war machines, essentially. And I think the fact that he's picked up on that and used that as a um, as a as a as a uh, talking point or a campaign platform is interesting, and I think that shows something about where um, progressives are at, where. So, sort of the general public is at that that he would see that as a stance he could make safely and actually attract voters with that stance because to this point i think um the sort of support and enablement of our uh state's military industrial complex has been pretty bipartisan how do you see today's news conference 
between Vladimir Putin and Donald President Donald Trump. Uh, do you think we're going to head to a new detente and that'll slow down the mm-hmm. production of these machines like we saw at the tipping point of the the end of the Cold War in the early 90s? Do you think mm-hmm. that world affairs could ultimately slow this down and, 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 and that'll be the tipping point? And if it does happen that way and if there's a BRAC realignment in 2020, whatever, can Rhode Island mm-hmm. survive economically without these sorts of jobs, even though they may not be what the governor and others say they are is mm-hmm. there is there anything that can replace that in terms of this this micro economy here in state yeah it's an interesting question i mean the i mean, I, I think with these types of jobs there has to be some sort of sacrifice or pain to get beyond the reliance on that as uh something to base your economy on um so, yeah, if if the Pentagon budget were to dry up, if money were to be moved away from submarines, whatever, that would um that would hurt a lot of people. That would mean people losing their jobs. Um I think that's kind of inevitable. I mean, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but if you look at the history of military industry, it's a continual boom and bust. And I, when I did the original series for the Providence Journal, uh, I got the Pentagon contract dollars awarded to companies in Rhode Island going back to, I think, 1972. And if you look at it, they, they, they charted it out in a graphic, and it literally looks like just a roller coaster. It looks like a Six Flags ride. So to a certain extent, these jobs are going to be lost anyway because you can't, you, you can't build submarines forever. You know, they need this new fleet of nuclear-armed submarines. But, you know, that's going to... Either they're going to complete the fleet or the money's going to get pulled before the fleet's completed. Um, you just can't build these things forever. It's like a long-term um, side hustle in a way, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And it... Um, <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, any anything could happen. I mean, that's what happened after the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 90s. They were churning out submarines like crazy taking in all this money. They had 23,000 employees in Rhode Island and Connecticut, electric boat, general dynamics. Um, And then the rug just got totally pulled out from underneath them. So when I was doing a lot of research, that was what I kept hearing that, you know, if you get addicted to the Cold War economy, essentially, that you're you're setting yourself up for that that boom and bust. So, I mean, my personal opinion would be, you know, if you're going to go boom and bust anyway... um, why not start moving those resources towards something else to, you know, uh, build your economy around something that is more sustainable, um, but then is also more moral, more ethical, and I think something that people feel like they're getting more out of. I don't, um, we, before we start recording, you were talking about rail in the in the state being right. awful, you know? Yeah. Um, I think people would be a lot more satisfied if they knew $6 billion were going into um, improving Amtrak, you know, uh, quality and affordability in the state than uh, building another submarine that they don't really understand the purpose of, and people like Jack Reed don't really want them to understand the purpose of. How much money is spent on war by the United States? Do you have any? And 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 how? Yeah, well, you that's know? that's kind of a hard one to um, to to uh, calculate so you have like the national defense authorization act which sets pentagon spending but then you have um 
other areas of the budget that are also, you know, um, military related. So um, the the Pentagon budget for 2019 that was approved um, by Jack Reed, Sheldon Whitehouse, Jim Langevin, not sure of David Cicilline's vote, that was $716 billion for 2019. Um, $700 billion is the 2018 number that was approved by all of them, all four of the congressional delegation. Um, so $1.4 trillion, uh, over $1.4 trillion over two years. Um, but then if you talk about the, the nuclear arsenal, um, part of that budget is in the Department of Energy because it's, it's nuclear-related. Um, and then you have Department of Veterans Affairs. You could consider that related to, um, to war. So there are a lot of different groups who, who uh, calculate that. And it, it just it basically depends on... Homeland Security is yeah, got to be there too, right? Yeah, Homeland Security, too. Yeah, so it really depends on how you uh, calculate it. But um, some say over a trillion a year. Wow. Yeah. So is that, that must be the largest industry then in the U.S.? Um, I don't know if it's the largest industry, but it's the largest um, federal contractor, the largest industry sure. that's um, being paid for by um, federal taxpayers that's contracted out to the government. If you look at all the top, the top five federal contractors are all military-related contractors like Boeing, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin. Yeah, Sikorsky, um, of course, the, the uh, yeah, helicopters. Yeah. Right, yeah. What's the – so as an independent journalist, you've done uh, – locally, you've, you've, you've really taken this on full mm-hmm. steam ahead mm-hmm. and have done a great job of highlighting this. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it been like for you getting this message out? You, you obviously were able to get your pieces into the Providence Journal, the state's most well-read newspaper. Mm-hmm. What's what is it like for you trying to push this message out? You, you seem to have mm-hmm. encountered maybe ten years ago less people would say you're some kind of uh, you know Loom. Chomsky yeah. uh, obsessed <laughs> wacko or whatever. You know, I certainly if I yeah. talked about this ten years ago, it would be more left, right. so to speak, than now, where it just seems like a mainstream position in a sense. You know? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. It. I I wouldn't say that I've I've always been seen as someone like pushing a fringe opinion, but it, there does seem to be this perception of that I have that w- people in journalism at least react to me like why are you why are you pushing this why why do you need to focus on this like what's the deal you know um, and. I found when I initially started reporting on this, it was more from uh, just a straight news story. You know, I'm writing this for the news pages of the Providence Journal, so opinion was left out of it. And I found that at that time I was able to get more kind of broader acceptance of writing about this topic. As I've moved more in the direction with my own site, News Weekly, um, with more analysis and opinion, I've found that the reaction has been more sort of uh, alienating, like, you know, um, those aren't acceptable opinions to to share. So, yeah, I guess I'd say it's, it's somewhat of a taboo subject to write about, especially if you're going to say something expressing an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a reflection of 
the degree of really militarism in the U.S. and how if you raise a question about this, um, say something critical about it, you're kind of made more into uh, a fringe person than you are. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. So, like, you know, um, Ed Acorn at the Province Journal, he writes an editorial saying that um, electric boats, great. These are great. These are middle-class jobs. Jack Reed's great for getting us money for these jobs, which he has written. And people just say, okay, that's analysis, you know. Um, and then I write a story essentially saying the opposite. And people say, well, that's activism, you know. Right. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you should stick to baseball then, you know. Right, about yeah. That? <laughs> so, I mean, that, does that kind of answer your question? It does, yeah. yeah. It's an uphill battle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like pushing the uh, the boulder up the mountain sometimes when you're not only an independent media outlet, mm-hmm. artist, whatever, but right. when your message is, is going against the mainstream narratives that's mm-hmm. been just constantly right. put into your face since you right. were in preschool and mm-hmm. is just it's nonstop. It's a perpetual narrative. Right. You know? it's, it's interesting, like, having reported on it, um, when I interview people, you almost... Um, people have like so universally accepted that narrative that when you're interviewing someone and you're asking them like a tough question that's a legitimate question for a journalist to be asking um you're almost treated as like the bad guy and when you get treated that way so many times you you're sort of thinking like gee am i the bad guy everyone thinks i'm like the one asking the um you know uh right. uncomfortable question um so so yeah but, yeah, but I would say it's interesting in terms of a, the audience. I mean, that's sort of like the official reaction, either from you know people who uh, work in mainstream media or um, Gina Raimondo and Sheldon Whitehouse, Jack Reed, the political class, or the people who you know the executives at Electric Boat, General Dynamics. Um, that's kind of their reaction. But I would say at the same time, I've gotten a completely different reaction from the audience out there. Um, and I found that this subject, um, there's been a lot more interest in than, than really anything else I've ever written about. And after the um, after the first series ran in the Province Journal, I did another follow-up story on some of the finances of General Dynamics. Um, I was getting contacted by, just, just totally out of the blue, by people up in Maine who were writing to Alan Rosenberg, the editor at the Province Journal, and then to me individually. Um, saying that their subsidiary up in Maine, a subsidiary of General Dynamics, was also trying to squeeze their state for tens of millions of dollars, and they wanted me to write about it. Like, did I want to look into it? No one was looking into it up there kind of thing. So I actually did for a few months and wrote about that. So I had, like, um, it's like a musician who says they're big in Japan. It was like I was kind of, I'm big in Maine. Big in Maine, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... And then, and then locally here in Rhode Island, there's a lot of interest, uh, and not just activists, people who feel like um, this is a subject that's important, that's interesting, and they don't feel like they get really any um, decent information about it that's not just superficial parroting of uh, talking points from a company or a politician. Well, we've heard gubernatorial candidate Matt Brown, uh, United yeah. States Senate candidate uh, Patricia Font, sort of mm-hmm. echo these thoughts right. on this program here on yeah. Bartholomew Town. Are there any other candidates for statewide or federal office that have uh, 
either reached out to you or you are aware of that are espousing these yeah these sort of same talking points if you will that at least mm-hmm. whether or not they're sincere about it anybody hopping on this uh no not that not even? that i know of um i had interviewed um Paul Roselli when he was running for governor. Right, now uh, he's in the Senate had, race. Yeah, now he's in a, a state, state Senate, Senate race. Yeah, 24, um, I think. He had said similar things to Matt, but it didn't seem like he had really um, kind of thought it out as in-depth as Matt Brown. I mean, because Matt Brown ran an anti-nuclear group for 10 years, so it would make sense right. that he'd be more um, invested in it. Global um, Zero. Global Zero, yeah. yeah. And then Pat Fonts, she's, um, who I've been doing uh uh media relations work for um she she's an anti-war activist so it makes sense that she would talk about it but you know other than that you know no one and if you if you watch one of these keel layings at general dynamics that's when they you know start building the ship um they have a big press conference they have you know people come out they have a navy band come out with trumpets everyone's in uniform the red white and blue everywhere um, or a christening of a new ship, anything like that, you know, you will never, you will never see um, Sheldon Whitehouse, Jack Reed, Jim Langevin, and David Cicilline and Gina Raimondo miss one of those events. Um, it's just like a given, you know. Um, so, I, I found it. I don't want to say shocking, but I found it pretty. Um, I was pretty surprised when Matt Brown was as strongly. Um, it made a strong sort of critical um, stances about general dynamics uh, as he did. Um, I, I interviewed him not too long after he announced that. I think at that point he was just saying he was interested in running. Um, yeah, there was some lack of clarity whether he'd run as an independent right. or whether yeah. he'd try to challenge the governor in a, in a primary. Yeah. And he chose the latter. Yeah, and I had... So I had seen that he was he was talking about running, and then I was looking into his background. You know, he um, uh, founded and ran this group that their goal is to totally abolish nuclear weapons by 2030. Um, so within like, the next 12 years... So I thought that was really interesting, consider, considering that this state, Rhode Island, Connecticut, are probably, um, in terms of the nuclear arsenal, the nuclear triad, are, are probably two of the most important states to the development of it. Um, so I thought it was interesting that someone with that background wanted to be governor of Rhode Island. And so I actually I reached out to his campaign about interviewing him about this specific subject. And they were like, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it. And then it was taking a few weeks to uh, to get the interview together. So I was beginning to wonder, like, is he trying to run from this topic now that, like, you know, he wants to be governor? So I sent, like, a little bit of a snarky email saying, like, you know, is he not going to talk about this now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they wrote back, no, 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 he really wants to do it. So then, uh, you know, they're just busy. Um, so then I, when I interviewed him, I, yeah, I was, I was pretty floored by what he was saying. Um, I mean, he called out Jack Reed and Sheldon Whitehouse for um, basically their – because they portrayed as this is strategically necessary to build all these things. And, you know, China is such a threat and Russia is such a threat and, you know, uh, North Korea and Iran are such a threat. So we absolutely have to do this. Um, and that, that's a, really a superficial way of putting it to people. And, and Matt Brown's group, they've done studies on the necessity of the nuclear arsenal and how many weapons you need to have and how many warheads you need to have. 
and, and their conclusion is, and they, they work with people who are former Pentagon officials, and their conclusion is that um, we have way too many nuclear weapons already. Um, so, yeah, his stance was pretty interesting to me. And, you know, the fact that he's gaining momentum and is supported by a lot of progressives, I think, um, says something about what people think of this subject. I mean, he was at the state house. Um, it was related to the immigration uh, policies and, and people protesting the family separation. And he got up and gave uh, kind of a quick speech. And he was he was hitting on this point about General Dynamics making money off of that, and Gina Raimondo accepting you know campaign donations from them, and and all of this stuff. So I mean, I think that's pretty telling that someone who's running for statewide office has. Um, uh, latched on to the subject like that what's your take on rhode island politics right now are we heading towards a big wave of change this november or is it going to be more of the same yeah i'm not sure i mean i mean part of the reason is i mean when you as a journalist when you focus on like one subject really um in depth it, it kind of creates blinders and you're not as aware of other um kind of more uh the more general kind of issues so i've not that i've not paid attention to you know politics more broadly but i'm less i feel less qualified to answer that as i might you know the the military industrial issue but i would say generally speaking um from activists i know from following the news from following what people talk about online all of that it seems like there's definitely this huge progressive push and then there's definitely this uh, establishment resistance to that. Um, and what I think has happened, honestly, is I think um, I think uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump was kind of a pivotal turning point for people in the sense that Democrats or progressives, people on the left, every election cycle they were they were being told that you know essentially. This isn't the candidate you want, but this is the winnable candidate, and you're going to vote for them, you know. And that, and they just did it. They just voted, you know. So they voted for Hillary or they voted for whoever. Um, and then I think people thought, you know, I keep on voting for the candidate I don't even want, and this time they don't even win, and this time I have Donald Trump as my president. You know, why do I need to keep making these concessions? I'm going to vote for the candidate that I actually do want. Um, so I think that kind of attitude is what propels a lot of this. Right, and the question in the Rhode Island gubernatorial race will be whether those, you know, protest votes end up going to Joe Trillo, or if they, <laughs> which uh, he right. has a mathematical shot at being governor, and you wonder how he'd handle all of this uh, with a small government mentality right. that he supposedly has. You know, how would he handle general dynamics, electric boat, and their relationship with the state? So, yeah, um, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting when, I mean, because then it gets into that topic of people think, you know, um, spoiler candidates and, you know, if you have good idealistic positions, but you might ruin it for someone else, you know, you shouldn't run. I mean, people have said that, like Pat, Pat Fonts, that, um, you know, she couldn't beat Sheldon Whitehouse and all she's going to do is basically, you know, make him look bad and that would weaken him for the Democratic, for the general election. Yeah. and I, I just kind of think that's BS, and it shows how we've we've accepted mediocre candidates in a mediocre political system with two parties and, you know, moneyed interests that just vet politicians for us and tell us who we're voting for. Um, 
I think uh, we shouldn't beat up on the um, the independents or kind of lesser-known candidates who are trying to, to, to break through. Couldn't agree with that more. I think that's mm-hmm. the most important step we can take to improve democracy here right now, at least in Rhode Island, is mm-hmm. there's such a diversity of viewpoints and there's such opportunity for collaboration, mm-hmm. even on an issue like the one we've been discussing today. Yeah, you may not be able to shut down and, and send electric boat packing, you know, or mm-hmm. or, or in one overnight end uh, the existence of nuclear weapons and nuclear proliferation but at the same time you can advance those causes and inform i think the Mm -hmm. masses with and and let them decide for themselves so that's that's what you've been doing with your uh your work the last few months and and it's definitely Mm -hmm. been great to have someone hyper focused like you say on that and doing such great investigative work so yeah thank you yeah appreciate it um Alex News, what's the best way for people to find you? Noons, noonsweekly.com. Yeah, be my website, noonsweekly.com. You could you could send a message there. Um, also on Twitter, at, uh, Alex L. Noons. As always, thanks for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk soon. <laughs>